Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. Good morning, my beloved friends. Last Sunday, we began a new season in the church, the season we call Ordinary Time. I explained this is a time to reflect and wrestle with Jesus's ministry, what he taught, how he lived among us, what he calls us to do and how to pattern our days and our choices as his followers, disciples, and apostles. And we are beginning this long green season that we call it with a four-part sermon series. I am calling, How Then Shall We Live? We are holding up four seminal questions, one each week, from spiritual writer Wayne Muller's book of the same title. Alongside these questions, we are holding up the gospel text and letting them help us, shape us, who we may be called to be during this time and place. Last week, we began with the first question, who are we? I offered a spiritual teaching that has become part of my rule of life. Go where you are sent. Wait until you are shown what to do. Do it with your whole self. Remain until you have done what you were sent to do. Walk away with empty hands. I shared these words have shaped and guided me over the years and offered them as a way to hear that who we are as a community, our identity, at least in part, is a people called to go where we are sent and then to wait until we are shown what to do. I further suggested the words we often use to describe who we aspire to be, progressive, inclusive, creative, in a downtown context, are vitally important and, clearly, not enough. We do not yet reflect the social, racial, economic diversity of downtown Toledo, the mission field, the vineyard, the neighbor in which Jesus sends us out to give away our hearts. If nothing else, the revival of racial disparity and violence of late reveals and reminds us we have gospel-style work to do, to break down barriers, to face into our own biases and privileges, and once and for all, for those of us who consider themselves white, to accept systemic racism as our problem and a mandate to do the work needed to break down and build up what is waiting to be born for the sake of justice and equality. We held this question of identity up against the gospel text in which Jesus calls and then sends out his 12 apostles. I urged us to embrace that identity as advocates, instigators, friends, allies, and accomplices to garner the courage it will take to speak up and speak out against white supremacy and racial injustice, whether subtle or blatant, grounding our faith and hope in a God that came to us in Jesus, setting a course and offering a path for us to follow with courage, compassion, and humility. So now we build on that truth-telling identity to ask our second question, 
what do we love? I have walked around with this question all week, and I have asked myself also questions like, how do we love and who do we love? And I have wondered if in fact these might just be different variations of the same question as we think about our context as a community of faith. Each week, I am rereading Muller's book to garner his insight as I weave these questions together with the gospel text for our purposes. Some of what he writes is not directly applicable because it is more individually than communally focused. But this week, I think some of his reflection on this question apply to both. He writes, attention is the physical manifestation of love. Attention is a tangible measure of love. Whatever receives our time and attention becomes the center of gravity, the focus of our life. This is what we do with what we love. We allow it to become our center. We become what we love. Whatever we are giving our time and attention to day after day, this is the kind of person, or I would say community, we will eventually become. I appreciate these words from Muller as a way to begin thinking about what we love as a community of faith, including the implications that there is nothing that telling, tells us that love is easy. That is some truth. There is nothing that dictates a single univocal answer to this seminal question, but rather a clarity of long-term intent. In other words, there is an implied season of perseverance. There is no quick fix, and our fast food mentality of trying to alleviate what is wrong or uncomfortable has no home here. Whatever it is we love together, we are called to do it with tenacity and tenure. Long after the headlines, long after the stories, long after media blitz and the marches have all faded into the woodwork, what we love must continue to receive our attention. I believe we have reached a point where what, who, and how we love means committing ourselves to the whole hard journey before us, leading us out of this deplorable place our country is in today and the roles we each play, known and unknown, implicit and explicit, aware and unaware. It is time to pay attention in a new way, a way that manifests love. I'm reminded of Mary Oliver's beautiful words in her poem, Instructions for Living a Life. Pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. So amidst that backdrop, let's turn to the gospel text. We continue in the same location and context as last week. We join Jesus sitting with his 12 chosen and commissioned apostles as he gives them additional instructions or marching orders, if you will, preparing them to go out into the world to share the good news. He too, in his own way, is telling them to pay attention. This is not going to be easy or without some very significant challenges. We hear some very hard words this morning in the gospel text, including these. Whoever loves father or mother more than me 
is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. As many of us shared this past week during our Lectio Divina Zoom gathering in the evening, where we read and pray on the upcoming gospel text, we said these words are not comfortable for many of us, and they don't sit very well. For even if we accept them as hyperbolic in some way, they still seem to make the unavoidable point that being a disciple is both a choice and a challenge with hard and sometimes seemingly impossible consequences. Not only is discipleship a call we must respond to through grafting our lives into a community, it is also about risking and maybe even losing some of what we hold on to most tightly at times. And while I don't profess a clear answer of what is going on in Jesus's head, if he did in fact say these things, I have wondered if he isn't making the point that each of us as followers is called to wrestle earnestly with what and who and how we love and whether or not those answers align with our truest God-given selves. I cannot believe his go spread the gospel mandate was simply to imply that those we love are somehow lesser than or not as important as our faith. I just don't get it. But I do know that I have often refrained from speaking my truth or standing up for someone else or raising my voice for fear of repercussions and or irreparable damage. And nowhere is that riskier and more vulnerable than in our closest relationships and often with family members. There is, as I believe, Jesus was articulating a moment of choice each of us has to make once we are truly paying attention. We cannot be silent we cannot be complicit. We cannot be ignorant or fearful of speaking up and out as we challenge patterns and practices and policies and paradigms that have hurt and harmed so many for so long. And maybe now, more than ever, maybe now that reality is staring us in the face, thankfully, in unavoidable ways. And again, for those of us who consider themselves white, many are buying books like White Fragility and Waking Up White and How Not to Be, How to Be an Anti-Racist at an alarming, or perhaps we should say appropriate rate. We have become like fish who all of a sudden are swimming around and breathing and realizing that we are in water. We are listening and seeing with a new eagerness to pay attention to elements of our society that many of us have had the privilege of ignoring or at the very least keeping at arm's length or minimizing. And Jesus's warnings are coming true at an alarming rate for many. I have heard and read story after story on social media of those who are being unfriended because of what they are now paying attention to. Many of us have stayed ignorant and sheltered, perpetuating a painful legacy, and it is time to pay attention, be astonished, and tell about it.
It is time to find a new way to love us back into wholeness. The path Jesus calls us to follow, hard as it will be at times, is also paved with faithful companions who have already traveled before us, often leaving beautiful stories to guide our feet and light our way. This past February, when Kim and I were in Louisville, Kentucky, we were reminded of one of those stories. On March 18, 1958, Trappist monk and prolific author Thomas Merton was in downtown Louisville running errands for the monastery where he lived. Standing on the corner of 4th and Walnut Street, he had a revelation, a mystical vision that would change his life and influence many generations of spiritual seekers. The spot where he stood now holds this historical marker, the only one of its kind in the United States, a reminder that God is still speaking in and through our lives, pushing and prodding and pleading and compelling us to love as we are loved. His vision, 62 years ago, still rings with hope to heal all that is still hurting and broken among us. In Louisville, at the corner of 4th and Walnut, at the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all these people, that they were mine and I theirs, that we could not be alien to one another, even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness, of spurious self-isolation in a special world. This sense of liberation from an illusory difference was such a relief and such a joy to me that I almost laughed out loud. I have the immense joy of being man, a member of a race in which God himself became incarnate, as if the sorrows and stupidities of the human condition could overwhelm me now that I realize what we all are. And if only everybody could realize this, but it cannot be explained. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. Then it was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the depths of their hearts where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach the core of the reality the person that each one is in God's eyes. If only they could all see themselves as they really are. If only we could see each other that way all the time. There would be no more war, no more hatred, no more cruelty no more greed. But this cannot be seen, only believed. 
and understood by a peculiar gift. May we too suddenly waken from our dream of separateness and suddenly be overwhelmed with love that extends to everyone, truly everyone. The time is now to stand in the light, to proclaim what and who and how we love from the rooftops. We need not be afraid. Our voices matter and need to be heard. May we see ourselves as we really are in God's eyes, we are shining in the light. May it be so.